you found the Winding Roads Podcast. My name is Isaac Redinger. Each week, my guests and I talk about cars. Our own cars, our past cars, cars we're excited about, how we were bitten by the car enthusiast bug, and more. Hop in, buckle up, and join me for another great drive. Happy Monday, everyone. Welcome back. I've got uh, Sean back on again, and Emerson is returning again. Um, thought we'd talk about some cars and a little bit of stuff going on this winter. And How you guys doing? Great. great. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Emerson, since you were on last, you became a little bit of a national sensation. Um, got a little bit of, of notoriety and some, some fame. How did that treat you? <laughs> I, I was not as prepared um, as maybe I should have been for that article. Like, and the thing that I was not prepared for was the LinkedIn. Like, that's what like, I thought, oh, probably my Instagram page huh. will heat up or whatever. But I yeah. like suddenly everyone was on LinkedIn and it was like, you have your profile has been viewed, you know, 4,000 times this week. And I was like, and normally it's like 20, <laughs> right? And uh, so I was like, if I would have thought of that in advance, maybe I would have like posted some articles or, you know, cleaned it up a little bit or whatever, you know, because I, I did, I did not appreciate that like everyone was going to be checking me out. And then, um, and then I got a lot of inbounds from like kind of random, just random people that were like, Hey, I saw your article and my neighbor has a Viper or I used to have a Viper or like just, you know, kind of random people reaching out through LinkedIn. And, um, so yeah, I mean, it was, but it was really cool. I mean, it was, it was, uh, I had a bunch, tons of people reaching out and, um, uh, I got my, definitely got my 14 and a half minutes of fame out of it. And, uh, it was pretty cool. I, I didn't know though. Apparently it's very common for attorneys to intimidate people with their Vipers as they drive through town, <laughs> apparently, I mean the number of the number of attorneys on LinkedIn that reached out that are also Viper owners. I had no idea the correlation between attorneys and Viper Viper owners, but apparently there is some kind of like correlation there. So yeah, um, that that was a little surprising. Maybe it's like an alpha thing, you know, the the stereotypical movie and TV lawyers that are, you know, really uh, A type and and things like that. Maybe it goes along with the Viper. Yeah, I don't know if you saw the comments that people wrote in the uh, in the comment section, but that was one of the comments was like, "You have to have some." Somebody said like, "You have to have a lot of moxie to drive this car, to drive that car as a lawyer or something like that." And I was like, "Yeah, that's a good word. Like, uh, you don't hear that very often." Moxie, yeah, moxie is a is a good word. That's funny. I I never made that correlation with lawyers and and vipers. So you had quite a few people reach out to you. Yeah, I would say. Um, I would say three or four of the people that reached out were lawyers and Viper owners. Um, and then okay. I happen to know a couple other lawyer Viper owners just through Instagram. And, um, okay. but, uh, but yeah, I, I'm kind of surprised by that too. I mean, even like, cause a lot of the guys that are lawyers that are car guys, I know it seems like they drive like more like, I don't, you know, I don't know, like they, they're more into like Ferraris or Porsches or Lamborghini, you know, German, Italian, you know, European right. stuff, you know? Yep. Um, interesting. I, have you guys seen, uh, I just thinking about stereotypical cars to professions. Uh, have you guys seen Matt Farah's new, uh, his new car, the strawberry shortcake, the, uh, Cayman GT four, but it has the demand motorsports 4.5 liter in it. It's the, yeah, it's, he got a, it's a Boxster Spider. Yes. Um, yeah. Which is the GT4 convertible, essentially. Right. And it's in the, 
I forget what the color's called, but I know he called it strawberry shortcake. Yeah, it's uh, frozen berry metallic. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And it's got red so, interior, right? Yeah. It's got red yeah. interior. On, and it's kind of like a like a pinkish type color with red interior. Like I saw that picture and I thought, well, that's an interesting combo. So he had, uh, he calls it, I think, the $2,000 joke. So, you know, uh, boxsters are typically, you know, hairdresser cars. So on the sills, he had the, the sills custom done that says cuts hair fast is, uh, is the sill <laughs> for the door sill. So, uh, just it just made me think of you know stereotypical cars to professions so mm. <laughs> that's funny yeah I, i'm i have mixed feelings about that car um i i like that he kind of did his own thing and i know mm. he had like a story about why he went with that um it's i don't have anything against the color but it wouldn't be wouldn't be my choice yeah, yeah. i would do that i think it go ahead I th- yeah i think it works a little bit like the original wheels that were on it definitely i the the hres that he put on it just kind of ties it together and um you know if the pccbs would have a yellow caliper and he painted the caliper red not Mm -hmm. quite the same to match but um yeah i i think it's cool i agree with you it i would not if i had a paint to sample thing i would not spec it that way but um i think I think it looks good. You know, it's something different, right? So. Yeah, I would not have done the red interior like that. I, when I the red on that pink, I was like, uh, I don't know about that. That kind of, the outside not so bad, but the red I would would have passed. But I, yeah. what do you think about the new Ruby Star? You know, the Porsche color they're bringing back. I mean, it used to be painted sample. Now it's available on a on the 911 as a standard option. But it's like that. It's called like Ruby Star, and it's it's basically like a pink, like a like a deep pink. Yeah, I. Uh... I don't know. To me, a Porsche should be like loud. I, I, it, that deep pink. I would rather go for. Is is that close to like the magenta color that that's out there? No, the magenta is like or... more like the lipstick red, right? Is that like okay. um, carmine red or whatever? Up... You have to look up Ruby yeah. Star. Ruby Star. Yeah. But uh, it was it was like a popular car color for a while for paint to sample, and I think Porsche is trying to get away from paint to sample, or they're trying to limit some of the paint to sample. So they're trying to make more of the wilder colors standard. Like they made the uh, the blue, you yeah. know, everyone was getting the blue, and then they made the blue a standard color. They made like Python green a standard color recently. Um, so yep. they took some of those colors like that people were typically doing paint to sample, and I think just offered a variation of it. And I think this was one of those. No, I I looked it up, and this is the this is that kind of like magenta pink color that I was thinking. I thought it was more closer to like a maroon mm-hmm. color, but this is no. It has kind of that violety pop to it yeah. a little bit. So I'm less offended by the ruby star than I am the frozen berry. Yes, mm-hmm. agreed. Agreed. I agree. <laughs> Maybe agreed. it's because it's got like it's got like um I don't think it's metallic, but it's got like depth to it whereas the the frozen berry is one of those kind of matte or low gloss paints and yeah i i just like a, a shiny paint you know like a tr- traditional right. paint whether it be metallic or a pearl um or something like that you know yep emerson yeah. speaking of porsches what's the latest on the 911 saga 
Um, it is it fro it it was frozen last week for uh, production, so the order is now baked. I can't change it, despite going back and forth like dozens of times and building all different configurations. And then I actually submitted once I sent it in, and then I changed it quickly thereafter. But um, uh, it's now locked, and so it should start production soon okay. and be here in in March. Okay, okay. nice. Mm-hmm. That's quick turnaround. Yeah, I ordered it so. in November. I guess I ordered it in November. That's how I knew the market was starting to turn because I've been trying to get a a nine eleven without paying over sticker for like three or four years now. And uh either either the dealer said, We'll put you on the list, but you'll probably never get phone a phone call. Or they said, We can get you one for twenty grand over sticker. And I said, I'm not paying over sticker. And um and then finally in November I got a call and they said, "Hey, guess what? We can we can sell you one for sticker." So I thought, uh, things must be turning. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But wasn't the catch that you had to get the the uh frozen berry color? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <the> catch. <laughs> right. With red interior. <laughs> yes. I think he probably should have done like white. That way you'd have like the strawberry seeds or something or like the interior, I don't know. So, yeah, you could have white with deviated stitching or something. That would be cool. Yeah. So you you custom built that for to some degree. Um, which which options do were a no? Um, you had to have certain options, and which ones um, you weren't really didn't have an opinion on. Like which ones were the I have to have these. So for me, I'll tell you um, one of the things I haven't posted, I haven't disclosed it yet, but I will, I'll tell you guys that. I I had to have either a custom interior or custom exterior. So I wanted either paint a sample or I wanted a custom interior. And they, they said they could not do paint a sample to my earlier point that Porsche was restricting it to only GT cars for like some period of time. And um, and this is a 4S. So, um, so I went with the Heritage Edition interior that's in the uh, Sport Classic. And oh, so nice. it's going to be the cognac leather with the houndstooth seat inserts. And that comes with a whole bunch of custom stuff like custom embroidery embossing on the seats, on the armrest. It has leather instead of wood. So there's no wood on the dash. It's leather in the dash, uh, leather okay. around the cup holder. I mean, it's like custom door sills, um, custom inserts on the back of the seats like the shell you know has like i think a leather inside the inside that i mean it's got a lot of really cool touches oh it's got the one of my favorite things i'm super excited about is it's got the uh the retro gauge uh the tachometer is the tachometer with the green band on it and the retro numbers that looks like the it's it's from like the target heritage edition and some of the other heritage cars so it has like a retro looking tack in the center um okay so yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty jazzed about the interior. That was like the the one thing I was like I've got to get something really unique and different, and that was that was available. So I did that. Yeah, I've I've always loved the the cognac color of the interior. That's that's awesome. What so the hound's tooth on the center inserts? What will like kind of be the contrasting color there? Yeah. So well, the hound's tooth is black and white. So it's a black and white. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, check type of pattern. Okay. Uh, in the seats and in the inside the door panels. Um, okay. And so if you ever look at, if you ever see the, the sport classic um, or Google it, you'll see that interior. It was like launched on that car. And um, nice. uh, I saw one in Indianapolis last year at the, uh, at the Porsche festival there, they had one on display. So I got to see it in person and I kind of filed it away in my head. Like, Oh, I really like that interior a lot. That's really sweet. Um, 
Gotcha. I think I was thinking more of like the plaid. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But the um, so black and white. But the other, you know, the Porsche options are like crazy. Like you know, you can like check yeah. like I mean, you can do anything, right? I mean, and um, so there were some things I did that I didn't even really care about, but they weren't that much money. Like to get the projector on the door. So when you open the door, it projects the, like it says Porsche in lights, you know, at night it projects it out onto the, you know, the puddle lights, but it projects Porsche and stuff like that. Wasn't that much. And I was yeah. like, you know what? I'm gonna go and get that. That's different. And then, but then there was, <laughs> that's, that's a cool, like attention getter. Like we have those in some of the Audis, you'll get the beam rings and then they've been expanding that to different designs. And if you've never seen one before, it really catches your eye. It, it's that little detail that really pops. Yeah, at night when you pull up or you're like a valet or whatever and you open up the door and it you know projects it like that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah. The um, One of the things I did not do, I did not get the upgraded seats. I got manual seats in it. I got like four-way manual seats because I thought, you know what? Okay. I'm going to be the one driving it. And frankly, in all my cars, like I never – like once I set my seat, it's like I'm good. You know, I don't yeah. need the 20-way. I don't need all the whatever. <laughs> the comfort seats. Yeah. 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 So that was one thing I did not splurge for. And then some of the technology is crazy. Like I did not do, I mean, it was like, um, uh, like I was just looking at like my wife's Macan has the, uh, uh, the cruise control with like the radar, you know, that keeps you like the set distance from the car in front of you and stuff like that. And I was driving it. And I was like, Oh, this is kind of cool. I wonder if I should have got this on my car. So I looked it up and it was like a $3,000 option just for that one technology. And I was like, I don't, I yeah. mean, come on, cruise can like, I don't need that, right? I mean, that's like that's just like kind of ridiculous right. to me. So, the you were mentioning the the houndstooth was that is that only available in the seat centers or are there other places like on the dash that you could have gotten it? You know, sometimes you can really go crazy. Yeah, no, stuff. it's just in the seat centers and in the door panels, like okay. inside the door, like right you know right behind where you put your hands. It's like there's a nice stretch mm-hmm. right there of it, and then in the back seats as well, uh, but just in the just in the center portions of the seats. Yeah. Okay, that could be easily overdone if you yeah. uh, if they let you. And luckily, they had a they had a yeah. fabric sample because you know the other thing is I worried about was like, is it gonna is it gonna be discolored? Because it is a fabric, so I was like, well, is it you know are your blue jeans gonna make it turn blue? Whatever. Um, and so I was looking at it. They had a sample at the dealer, and I was able to kind of like feel it, look at it. it. It's not it's not like a wool type of feel. It has more of a uh, synthetic type feel. So I think it'll hold up hold up better uh, to wear and stuff like that. Probably yeah. easy to clean too. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be a four S. Um, what which wheel option did you go with? The twenty inch or? 21? Oh yeah, yeah. That was so. I wanted this car to look like super classic. So I did a, a twenty, the twenty twenty one, like twenty in the front, twenty one in the rear. I think is I think I think they're staggered, but it's the uh, the five spoke Fuchs style with the uh, painted. I did the uh, uh, alloy on alloy wheels, but then with the black painted inside you know, the wheel. So it looks a lot like the throwback to like the sixties Fuchs style. Um, and I kind of, but the whole, my whole thought for this car was to make it more classy. So like with that interior, with those wheels, um, I did not, I didn't even do the, uh, sport exhaust system. I was like, I just did the normal exhaust. Uh, I didn't do the, I did not do the aero package. Um, I did some stuff like I blacked out. I didn't do the Chrome like around, I, I blacked out all the Chrome I, rem- I blacked out the word Porsche in the back. I made the clear light, the taillights clear. So I did, I did some things to kind of make it a little, like I'd call it kind of a more sporty modern touch, but not like over the top, you know, cause I want, I really want it to be more classy and I want it to be more of a driver, mm-hmm. like a daily driver that I can drive around and put miles on. Um, and, and so I didn't, I didn't really want to go for any of the sport 
sports stuff, you know. Does that wheel yeah. option come with all season tires or summers? You know, I think it comes with summers. I actually, it's funny because I was just, as I was, since it, since we got the snow yesterday, I was actually driving around thinking, I wonder if I should get all season tires on it, you know, so that I can drive it in the winter like this with the, with all the snow and stuff we had. I know you guys talked last yeah, time I, about I, snow tires, right? I mean. Yeah. Yeah. We did. That was, that's, that's the dream someday. Porsche 911 Turbo S with snow tires on it. So. <laughs> Just romping around in the snow. Yeah, I know. It'd be great. Yeah, because I was thinking about it the other day or yesterday or today. Um, you're a driver. Like, you're not going to be one of those guys that's their 911 sitting at home in the garage and, you know, you get it out three times a, a summer or two, go to a Cars and Coffee. Like, you're going to drive it. And so I thought, okay, well, he's got other vehicles, but I could also see you putting at least all seasons on it that way. Um, you know, you can drive it year-round without an issue. And if it's really bad, obviously, you take something else. But I didn't really see you because I questioned one of my clients at work. He's got several Porsches and is an RSX and stuff. I said to him, what is the market for a 4S? You know, like in the Northeast, people typically, at least the ones I've seen, it's a summer toy. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then do you need the all-wheel drive? Like okay, maybe a little bit better traction in the rain, but like what is, I'd be curious to see the demographic for a 4S buyer versus just a Carrera S or a GTS or something like that. Yeah, I would be interested too. I mean, it's, uh, uh, I would think they would have to be somewhere, like if you, some maybe you'd have to drive it in the winter um, because I don't even think on the track it would be that great. I mean, I don't think there's really, other than drive, being able to drive it year-round, drive it in the rain or whatever, I'm not sure um, why else you would get it. But but you're right. I did get it because I wanted to drive it uh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I was going to ask you, you know, kind of what your use case was going to be for it. Like, you've got this wonderful stable of horsepower. And, like, so you have, obviously, the the Yukon for, you know, towing and, and whatnot, and probably the really snowy days and stuff. But then you can kind of like choose your mood. Like, <laughs> Oh, am I going to do the Viper? Or am I going to do the, yeah. the Cayman or am I going to do the Porsche or, you know, so this is kind of going to be like your, your daily driver sports car then. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm, I'm planning to drive it, drive it to work, you know, every day, drive it on the weekends, take it to drive it to the lake. Um, you know, I wanted something that it would be comfortable to drive. Our lake place is like three hours and 45 minutes from here. So I wanted something that'd be comfortable yeah. to drive up there. I've driven the GT4 up there, but um, the steering on the GT4, the radius is so tight and the steering wheel is smaller that like, but you probably, you've experienced this in like some of your cars. I mean, it's like, yeah. it's like you have to like, if you, if you look away from the road for like two seconds, you're like changing lanes because like the yes. steering just pull. I mean, it, it, you have to be right on that steering wheel and it just twitches like the whole time, you know, um, yep. which is great on the track. But like, if you're trying to drive on the interstate, it's not, it's not a lot of fun, you know? Right. There's a reason for a track alignment and a, you know, <laughs> cruising comfort alignment. Exactly. So street alignment. Yeah. <laughs> so awesome. Well, that, that'll be a fun car every day. Yeah. You know, it can, it can have the, the double personality of the, the luxury GT car, but then still be fun you know, on the on-ramps and stuff when you want it to be. Yeah, so. that's what I thought. I mean, and I mean, I think it's like, it's something crazy too. I mean, like zero to 60 is like 3.2 or 3.4. I mean, it is a, it's still like a super fast car, even for having all wheel drive right. being kind of a full size, you know, GT type car. Um, yep. 
So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to driving it, putting some miles on it. Um, the, um, I even got a, I did the PDK on it. So I didn't even do a stick shift, which I had a lot of people ask me about that because they were like, Oh, how could you not get a stick shift? You know, and you're, you know, it's a purist car and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, you know what? I've got, I've got stick shifts. I love driving a stick shift, but like it driving in traffic, driving to work and sitting at stoplights and stuff. It's just, you know, you know how it is. It's like not, not the yeah. most fun, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like you, you've already got stick shift covered. Like you said, like you've got several manual transmission cars and you, I would say you having that car as a commuter three days a week trumps having an automatic when it comes to people giving you crap because (laughs) you know you're going to have more miles on that in a year than half of the 911s you of other people you probably know you know in your circle of friends so they've got no room to talk in my opinion i just saw him bring a trailer there's a lizard green 911 gt3 rs that just came up like in the last two days and um i was looking at it and uh, it has 152 miles and it's three years old and i thought 152 miles. I mean, that's like you, they must've like towed it to like, I don't know. Like, I mean, you could even drive, I mean, I don't know. I mean, unless they live next door to a dealership, but I thought that is like nothing, you know, I mean, it's sad, right? Yeah. Yeah. That such a track capable weapon, just, you know, <laughs> sitting in a showroom garage somewhere. So, yeah. So Sean, on your car, like what, what, what are you doing right now? What are you planning or, or looking for or what's next? Oh man. So I've still got the LS seven engine on the stand. Yeah. So I uh, was able to salvage that from the vehicle. So I, I had the, it tuned on E 85 with the upgraded injectors and everything like that. And I've, I've got probably another five, $10,000 worth of like just accessory things like rugged radios and, and just, you know, flex fuel sensors and, just a bunch of other stuff. So um, the goal is to hopefully get the garage, not hopefully, we will build the garage <laughs> this year. Um, lumber's in a good spot now. Um, talking with uh, a few sponsors for just, you know, helping out with garage doors and other things and stuff like that. So um, the garage shell will get done this year. And that, then once we have a spot to put it, um, then it'll be some sort of build. I'm still trying to figure out, you know, do I just do a, your typical LS swap or, you know, I, uh, was, I was talking here about, you know, maybe doing the, a nine, eight, one salvage title, pulling the motor out of that and trying to fit the LS in that or something. So, um, it would, uh, it would be interesting, but, uh, we'll see, we'll see. So right now, probably for the next two years, I've got a, an engine sitting on a stand somewhere while the garage gets built, but it's the garage progress is, is looking good. Um, really weird. So I redesigned the garage and I was working with this window company, um, gave me a quote. I had sent in, uh, I signed the order to build and everything and sent, sent a, a down payment check into them. And, uh, they, I emailed them shortly after and said, Hey, it's on hold. We got to redesign, you know, we're trying to t- pull some costs out of it. We're not doing the full second story and everything like that. So, um, I said, just put it on hold. I'll, 
I'll let you know. We're probably delayed about a year. And then they came back to me four months later and they're like, hey, we have to raise the price. Like inflation, everything is going up. Materials are going up. We can't hold that price anymore. And I was like, that's that's fine. I'd, I'd love for you to hold the price if possible. That's kind of why I put the deposit and everything down. But um, so they came back to me and then finally um, I said, hey, just give me a quote for what the new price would be. Just so I have a ballpark as I'm budgeting here for the garage build. And um, they gave me a quote and it went up by like eight grand ish on the windows. And I had some pretty big, like I had a giant double sliding glass door designed in and everything. So the architect recently finished kind of the updates to the, the redesign. And I sent, sent them those specs on those windows and they came back to me and were like, Oh, well, um, I don't know if we're going to give you a quote for that. We, you're, technically legally bound to this original one and i was like um well you're not honoring that uh you're not honoring the pricing so you're clearly saying that that contract is no longer valid so um so i'm still working on windows needless to say about like what what we're gonna do i'm hoping they just say okay yeah he redesigned it took the cost out we'll you know we'll give him the price for the lower quantity because i i think i took like five windows out of the build and the giant sliding glass door is now just a normal sliding patio door Mm -hmm. and stuff. So I'm hoping there's still a really good window company that are like passive rated. So I'd I'd really love to use those and um, get to it, but hopefully they give me a quote for the reduced quantity so we can keep, keep working together. But sounds like the other contract is still kind of valid, but not on the pricing side. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> the parts that are good for them. They like that part of the contract, right? right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> what is passive rated? I hadn't, hadn't heard of that before. Um, so passive is like a rating that you can give your house or any like building or structure. It's kind of used a bit interchangeably with net zero. It's not the same thing, but basically, so net zero would be, the energy you're consuming in the house, the house is net zero. So whether you do that through solar or wind or um, whatever, your your house does not consume any additional than you are making, you know? So you don't have to pull from the grid. It's not necessarily off-grid because you're still tied to the grid, but overall the house will outproduce or be level and even with your consumption. So okay. passive is really more of a like an air sealing and building standard where um, it's how tight the house is, how energy efficient all the systems in the house are. So you can you can get a passive rating without being net zero. And you can also be net zero without getting a passive rating. So um, it's it's interesting. I'm more like independent and I just want to be off the grid and like forget, you know, the government and everything like that. But yeah, <laughs> that's that's who I am. And that's really the my selfishness wanting some good windows that are going to keep the heat from the, um, the heated floor in there mm. as best as possible in the Wisconsin winter. So. That makes sense. If you're going, if you're make, going to the length to put a heated floor in, I mean, you want to, you don't want to just go right out the windows. Right, right. Or heating the ground and stuff. So there's some cool things we're going to do with some under slab insulation, so we're not 
heating the earth out mm-hmm. outside of it as well. And um, I'm trying to get some quotes right now for um, actually a geothermal boiler for the for the in-floor heat. So typically you're typically using a natural gas boiler unless they outlaw those like the stoves. Um, and, uh, (laughs) so I'm thinking geothermal just so I can, you know, once I do eventually put solar on the roof, you know, that's one more thing on electric that, but geothermal is more of a heat pump that I can kind of keep my energy usage away from the grid. So at at our lake, we have a heated, like a dual system boiler and I'd not seen this before, but it basically does, it heats the floor, um, and it yep. also serves as like a hot water tank. Yeah. And so it's like, it's like yeah. the water, it's not the same water. I don't think it's the actual same water, but I think it goes through the same, it cir- circulates through the same, um, system. And then it also sends hot water into radiators that are in your, uh, air handlers to heat the house. And so like yep. everything in my house, the hot water and the heat and the radiant floor all depend on the hot water heater and it's a tankless system now that's on yep. the wall um and so when it works it's pretty cool um but if it doesn't work then you don't have like anything <laughs> right yeah yeah those the combination systems are cool yeah and it, it it's not the same fluid that's that's being pumped through the house but uh yeah it goes through the same heat exchanger mm-hmm. to you know get all that but yeah that's a that's a cool system but you're right it's uh kind of that single point of failure right right, right. <laughs> So it's, it sounds like a much higher tech version of my parents' house when everything was on electric. You know, my my childhood house it was electric heat, electric everything, and if the power went out, we had nothing because we didn't have a generator or anything. So it sounds like the opposite, or not the opposite, but very similar situation where if that one tankless system is on the fritz for some reason, you know, it affects a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and we just got a generator last year and um and actually just used it when that uh just last weekend we had a um storm come through last week and uh and we were without power for half a day or something like that and uh and our generator kicked on and and worked for the first time and it was a nice it's a natural gas that runs off the natural gas line so in theory it could run as long as we have natural gas it could run forever so um that gives me a little bit of comfort you know because to your point about the electrical grid and and all the demands that are being placed on it yep it's nice to have an alternative. Sean, um, last time you were on, you said you may or may not have an announcement by the yes. time you were on again. Is that is that in the works still, or it is, is it finalized? It is not. It is. It has been finalized, so I can uh, I can officially say. So uh, the day job will be changing. So okay. um, I am starting doing a startup rapid production company. So. Um, a few old coworkers of mine and myself are, are getting together to do a startup rapid production. So 3d printing, rapid prototyping, low volume production with, uh, traditional manufacturing and three, 3d printing combined. So, um, we, uh, we're going to be starting up here in a little bit and my last day will be the third. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, cheers. That's great. Yeah, very. Uh, I'm nervous, excited. So, um, own, I've owned my own business on the side before, but never, you know, full time. Um, you know, dedication to the uh, to the startup world. But um, yeah, right now we're 
we're working on moving into a new larger building. Speaking of power requirements, uh, we've got quite a few machines that we have to select which ones we want to run right now because oh. we don't have enough power to run them all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. um, but the new building will sol solve that problem. So, uh, yeah, the comp sorry, I didn't even mention the company's name. Uh, so it's Evology Manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So evologymfg.com. So I'll be in charge of the sales and marketing side of things, and the other guys will kind of run the operations side of things. So, um, yeah, we're excited to uh, kind of already up and running right now with the soft launch. And um, Emerson, your your post the other day about fast radius made me made me think of uh, think how lucky you were to not take that position. Right? So, <laughs> Yeah, I had a couple of people reach out to me uh, after I posted that, and they're like, "Oh, I, I'm in that space, or I know that company, or like whatever." They were like, "Yeah, you totally dodged a bullet." I was like, "Yeah, you know, you just don't know at the time whether you just don't know, right?" But you, but the technology is right. fascinating, and it does seem like the way of the future, right? I mean, why make stuff and ship stuff if you can just make it on site or make it near and and not have to, right. you know, and make it in small volume, make exactly what you need, custom stuff. I mean, it just it makes a lot of sense, right? It's a great technology. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're ITAR registered already, so we can do you know sensitive military parts mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, and we've got metal and plastic both. So I mean, we're I'm working on a few things with some people about you know doing some custom one-off header systems for their uh, Ferrari out of Inconel and stuff. Mm -hmm. So it'll be uh, it'll be cool. I'm I'm excited to mix the the motorsports passion that I have with the, uh, with the, um, with the business side of things. And the, some of the other guys are, are motorsports enthusiasts. So one of them has a 2008 STI, uh, wagon. Mm -hmm. Um, another guy has a E46 M3 and the other guy has a 996, uh, CS4. So, cool. yeah. When yeah. you think about some cars, like, like like race cars. I mean, I I, I read a lot about because um, I'm always thinking about like should I just get to use like an old race car, you know? And yep. um and you see those NASCARs come up every now and then for auction, you know, that have been used yep. in a race, and they they typically don't go for a lot of money. It's like under fifty grand. Sometimes it's like twenty five grand. I mean, it's crazy, you know. And and you think like, oh, that would be so easy to to have. And it's like, and if the if it, if the engine goes bad like just drop a coyote v8 in it or whatever or ls right i mean it'd be right. easy to just get right. you know drop something else in it um but then everything i've read is like every single part on that car is custom like every bracket every yes. the brakes yes. complete fabrication yeah and so, so it, it's like yes you could just replace the engine but everything else every single piece on that if anything breaks it's like you have to be able to fabricate it so like in your right. situation if you could 3d print stuff and you could do metal printing then yeah i mean you could yeah. you could recreate all sorts of stuff yeah it's uh it it's exciting you know in in past career when i was doing very much the same thing at a different company um yeah, we were doing everything from some certain motorsports parts to spaceship parts to, you know, missile parts and satellite parts. So, I mean, the the things you can do, especially with the metal machines now, is wild. Just all the different materials available, the titaniums, the inconels, the aluminums and stainless steels. It's 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 pretty impressive what what can be done. And so um, I. I'm excited to just make cool things again and make like 
it, it's, it's a tough sell. It's tough being a salesperson in that industry because I want to like show everybody everything and, and talk about it, but it's, you're so on the cutting edge of product development that there's so many non-disclosure agreements and everything that you like can't because Microsoft doesn't want Apple to know what they're doing that early in product development and everything. So it's just, it's interesting. You do such cool things and it's so task significant when you see it like driving down the road or in somebody's hand and you're like, Oh, I helped work on that, but you can't say anything (laughs) about it. (laughs) For the, the EV cars, I mean, that was one of the things I know, like Fast Radius was talking about, that the EV world is like a hotbed for that because they are they build such low volume and they're doing all this prototyping and stuff that having the ability to just yeah. order a dozen of something or a, or a hundred of something is actually like really attractive, right? Yeah, it's, it's super interesting. A lot of the, like the test mules, um, you know, for their HVAC system before they do all the, the blow molds for like the ducting work and everything like that. They'll 3d print that Mm -hmm. and then just run with a, the same exact design for their, you know, test campaign. And then even still some of those things will get, depending on how many they want to sell, um, will get transitioned to the hard tooling. And then some things, like you said, will stay, um, additively manufactured and it's it's a great application because your your payback curve of okay these how many millions of dollars of tooling versus mm-hmm. okay i'm gonna sell twenty five thousand of these things like <laughs> you know it's uh it's it's low so yeah and the tooling doesn't wear out like that's the thing about traditional stampings and things like that eventually you have to remake right the... The, the tools because they wear out. Like I heard a story about the, the crown Vix towards the end of the, the production run in 2012, the, the body panels fit so poorly because they hadn't changed the tooling in like 10 years. And, but they, they were making, you know, hundreds of thousands of them for police units and things like that. Yep. And it was like the tolerances were insane because, you know, they just didn't, all the tooling was paid off and they didn't want to reinvest because they knew it was an aging product and they weren't going to reinvest in it. Right. So Emerson, speaking of EVs, I, and I don't know if I talked about this with you when you weren't able to make the show, but, um, I, so I have a, a pre-order for a Rivian oh, yeah. R1T mm-hmm. and, uh, I, so I've had that reservation since January of 2019. Wow. Um, so I was, I think I'm number 5,000, low 5,000s or something like that. So I could have had one of the vehicles that they're selling today. Like I I could have bought and had it already, but I went for the max battery pack. So the the larger one that they aren't selling yet. And the big thing about the Rivian is one motor for every wheel, right? So four motors, you can have infinitely variable torque on each wheel. So amazing performance in snow and off-road and everything like that so that was that was the big thing um the i just got an email from them actually and they said so we're no longer doing the quad motor on the big battery that you ordered oh so it's going to go to the dual motor um so they're going to have a choice of is it going to be 600 horsepower is going to be the base 
and then 700 will be the like the upgraded dual motor so it'll have a motor at each axle similar to my old tesla model s that i had but um you know it's only going to be 700 horsepower and not this 800 thing that you know i had ordered in the past so i don't i don't know if i'm going to be able to to live with that now so <laughs> i feel like horse, horsepower numbers have gotten like almost irrelevant right it's like everything has right? 700 horsepower i mean or could have it i mean it, it's like it's so crazy it's like not even about it. It's not even, it's almost not even about horsepower anymore. You know, it's, it's, it's really, uh, it's almost a secondary thing. And now it's more about the other, other features and, and the quality of the interior and the, and on EVs, obviously the range, like I would, if I was getting an EV, I would, I would have range over power all day long. Right. I mean, I would rather have more range, um, than, than the power. And that's why I went for the max battery pack, like the current battery pack, they're saying you can get 310 to 325 miles out of, out of that. And it's that in the winter, like take 75 to a hundred miles off of that right yeah. away. Like yeah. you're just it. When I had my old model S that it was 373 miles and I was, you know, getting right at call it 280 to 300, depending on how cold it was outside. Yep. So, yeah, yeah it's something people don't think about. You know, because the the drop in fuel economy on a, on a gasoline car or even diesel it, during the winter is is marginal, but you know the when an EV everything is running off of that one battery pack, and so yep. you're using more accessories in the winter: your heated seats, your defroster, everything, plus just keeping it cool. And like I've noticed, if I'm snow, shoveling snow in the winter and my phone is on an outer pocket of my coat, when I check it 15 minutes later, it's dropped you know, uh, the charge. Yeah. So that's definitely, I think planning ahead like that and, and having the largest battery battery pack you can is, I think is more worthwhile. Yeah. The, the yeah. thing I, and hopefully the, go ahead. The, the thing that popped in my head when you said it had motors on each wheel was, does it have a tank mode? Because in theory you yes. could do that, right? You could do two wheels forward, two wheels backwards and spin the thing. Correct. That was that was one of their their like advertisements during when the concept was out there was the tank turn mm-hmm. where yeah it, it spun around and so I, I'm a little sad <laughs> I won't be able to do that if I go forward with the dual motor yeah. right so yeah um, but it, it's it's been interesting reading all the reviews like um, I followed Johnny Lieberman from Motor Trend mm-hmm. and he he has one he has an R1T. Uh, in Packer colors, by the way, yellow on the outside, green interior. Um, so, uh, follow him. There's, there's a bunch, everyone who's driven the vehicle so far has said it's like the best all around single car vehicle. Hmm. Like it is runs a, a 10 second quarter mile, you know, just crazy fast. And you can raise the suspension up 16 inches and go off road and, and then it'll haul, you know, it'll tow 11,000 pounds and then, you know, just all these things, everything but range, which is kind of the same for all EVs, yeah. right? So, but it's like your your Swiss Army knife car. It's a luxury interior, comfortable ride, you know, fast when you want it to be, and then it can pull utility duty on the weekends, right? So I'm, I'm excited. I will probably still get one, even though I won't get the quad motor but i'd like to check it out i have a friend that got one and i haven't seen it yet um 
and I haven't really talked to him much since he got it, but but there is one here in town that he's been driving it around, and uh, I've been meaning to ask him about it. So I'm gonna have to I'll have to follow up with him. Yeah, yeah, you'll have to in March. You you know just do a key swap for the week. You drive that for the week, and and he'll drive the Porsche for the week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time I saw one on the road, they looked very – like the pictures, they look like a full-size truck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the first time I saw one cross by me on a road, it was smaller than I was expecting. It's almost the size like – you know, Dodge, the Dakota was kind of like bigger than all the compact trucks, but it wasn't a full-size. Right. It's kind of like that for today's trucks. Yeah, it's like – a little bit bigger than a Tacoma, yet not quite as big as like a Tundra mm-hmm. or an F one fifty. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. There's an SUV. I haven't. I, I've seen it. The SUV version around town. There's one yeah. of those around here too. And I pass it on the road every now and then on my way to work. And um, uh, and it looks cool. I but I have no idea how much room is in the back. I don't know if there's a third row or not. You know. Yep. There's a third row. Um, it's kind of like your typical, not like suburban third row. You know, mm-hmm. where it's just you know, if, if you need it sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, very, you know, quad motor on that as well. They will, n- I don't think they're going to offer the max pack in that because they've got the, the double row of batteries and then the max pack is actually going to stack another few module modules on top, which in the truck version will go right underneath the rear seat in the truck, um, with that extra height. Um, but with the SUV, I don't think they're going to do that. So, um, I think you're, you're stuck with the 300, 310 miles of range, 325 miles of range, but yeah. I know this one thing GM was working on with their EVs is, is the stacking of, of the battery packs. Like for example, the Hummer is a dual stack cell and it's like, you know, as big as the whole floor pan. 200 kilowatt hours. Yeah. (laughs) You know, they actually struggled to get that under the 10,000 pounds so the buyers didn't have to get a CDL. It's, that truck is massive, weighs so much. Yeah. It looks massive. Yep. Yeah. It has the crab walk feature. I mean, that, you know, speaking of the tank, it, it does. it's like the tank right? and then they have the crab walk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Everybody's got to have their party trick, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. It's no longer a tailgate war, right? Right. Exactly. Yep. Uh, how's the, any news on the Daytona build? Um, no, not, I mean, not a lot. I mean, I got it out. Um, I got some fresh gas in it and got it and started it, started right up. Um, and then I drove it around the block a couple times, um, just cause I hadn't driven it in six months or, or, or more. And, um, uh, and so it was fun. I mean, it's great. It sounds great. It's, it's, it's fun to get out and drive, but, um, uh, I just need to keep keep working away on the on some of the accessories. I mean, it's like it's all minor stuff. It's like putting in the headlights and uh, you know finishing off the door hardware, and it's just it's really small trim stuff. And then it's and then it's ready for paint, really. The uh, the GT4 you you track that car. Have you considered getting a more track dedicated? Yeah, uh, car to replace yeah. it. Uh, since you're getting the 911 as like a more daily. Yeah, I've thought about that a lot because I've thought you know. Like the GT4, is, it is. It is like I do still think it's like a perfect car. But the um, the bucket seats, which I absolutely love, 
but they're not the easiest to get in and out of. Right. And, um, and driving around with harnesses all the time in your car is, is not, is not the easiest either. Right. I mean, you're sitting on, someone gets in the car and you're like, yeah, just sit on top of this seat belt that's in your seat, you know, or whatever. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, I have thought when I get the 911, I'm driving it a lot more. Um, and I don't need a car that can do double duty as a track car and a street car, then should I just get something else? And, Part of me is like, yeah, I should just get like a used cup, 911 cup car, like, you know, some kind of Porsche race car. Like, I would love that. Um, but then, but then part of me is like, man, the GT4 is such a special car and it's the 2016 and it was a limited production and it's just such a cool thing. Is that going to be something that, you know, in 20 years it's going across the auction block at Bear Jacks and I'm like, oh, I used to have one of those. I wish I had it, you know? So. I don't know. I mean, you can't keep everything, but it does, to me, it does feel like something really unique. And people, other people have told me that, that, you know, that's a really, that, that have driven Porsches or into Porsches, that they think the GT4 is really a unique car. So I don't know. What do, what do you guys think? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. Cause you, do you have room where you could, if you wanted to keep the GT4 and get a call it dedicated track car, you know, whether it was like, a, um, even just like a caged Corvette mm-hmm. or, you know, something, something dedicated to the track. Um, do you have room for that? Yeah. I could, yes. Yeah. Okay. So that's an interesting proposition. Cause it's like, then you don't have to go through, like you said, it's, it's a special car, you know, it was kind of that, that first attempt at, Porsche saying, okay, maybe the 911 isn't the, you know, doesn't have the vehicle dynamics that, that it should. And so we're going to make a a very special car with the GT3, you know, steering geometry Mm -hmm. and, and everything like that. So, um, but yeah, I, from, from my experience, from friends in my circle, having a dedicated track car is just, it's the way to go if you can do it. Right. Like it's you don't have to mess with the alignment. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, you know, it's it's everything focused for the purpose that you're trying to do. Yeah. And so if you can if you can have that third car, fourth car, or, you know, just the dedicated track car, um, that that is absolutely the way to go. Um but there is something to be said about okay, I'm driving a race car on the road. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> There's well the word the word that comes to my mind is is overlap. Like right. the the Cayman and the Viper and the 911 will all kind of do a lot of the same things. And I mean, realistically, the Viper is a track car for the street mm-hmm. because all the aero and everything that's on it. You know, not that you're going to track it, but you there's there's room to to have another part of that circle. Like you've you've got the different quadrants. You've the 911 will be the streetcar. The Viper can be your, you know, your your cars and coffee joyride, take a rip kind of thing that you kind of use the Cayman for now, um, because you're not gonna once you have the 911, you're not really gonna want to commute in the in the Cayman. Mm-hmm. You know, so that would leave the dedicated track car kind of unserved because you didn't build a 911 to do that purpose. Also, you know, the Viper is not going to do that purpose. Yep. So. I think, yeah, either keep it and get a track car, which, but more realistically, probably, you know, put that, sell that and put that towards a track car. 
or your own track, one of the two. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, the thing that I don't, the only thing I get is like, would you, would you be okay having a car that you could, that you only drove six days a year? Right. That's the only thing to be is like, so right, if I had a yeah. race car and I towed it around to the tracks and maybe I would do, if I do four or five events, maybe it's eight or 10 days, but still it's like, I'm only going to drive, I have this car sitting there in the garage and I only get to drive it, you know, less than six times a year. That to me, that kind of seems crazy, but maybe, you know, maybe that's not. Yeah. People also I, think having a car with two seats is crazy and you've got three of them. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. I think uh, it's interesting. So do you like how many more times it, you're you're kind of a, a unique person because I know you drive your cars more than more than most. <laughs> but like even even the Viper, do you think that probably gets driven the least out of the stable? Yeah. You know, would you say that's a twenty times a year car for you? It might. You know what? To be honest, it might be less because if you think about it, it's probably only during nice weather. It'd be like once a week at the most when it's nice out and when I'm in town. Yeah. So. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe I only drive it 15 to 20 times a year. Right. 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 And so then if you can have, you know, something that's track focused that, you know, you just get the right setup, you can start, you know, messing with, you can get a little more, bit more safe as well. You know, I always think about like just the safety aspect and, and, and everything just, having that dedicated cage where you don't want to drive on the street with, with a cage around you. Cause you'll smash your head and you know, <laughs> you need a helmet when you have a yeah. cage in your car. So um, yeah, just, just that extra element of safety, that extra element of lightness that, you know, there's no interior. It's just the seats and the, the cage and the bare metal around you, you know? And I think having, having, a few of my friends have started in the um, the chump car or lemons yeah, like yeah. aspect yeah. of it and have just had an absolute blast and, you know, just put another $500 in the car, put another $500 in the car. And so uh, they've, they've gone that route, which, which is a fun route um, to go. If you're kind of looking for that, okay, I want a dedicated like budget race car. Yeah. That's absolutely the way to go. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that, I mean, it would be, um, it definitely would be safer. I like the more purpose aspect of it. And I like that, like right now, the stuff I do with my car, like, oh, I'm going to change the brakes, you know, for the track. I'm going to change the pads. I'm going to change the wheels. I, right. you know, I'm, I feel like I'm constantly changing stuff on it. And then I still am a little, even though I, I don't have any hesitations about taking out and abusing it on the track, I still am a little hesitant right. about like I'm not cutting up the interior I'm not ripping the carpet out you know what I mean like so I, I don't want to spill stuff all over I don't want to drive it with the windows down have rain coming inside and trashing the interior so I still am like trying to be a little careful about it because I know it is like a street car still whereas I feel like if it's just if right. all it was was a straight race car then it's like kind of balls out like okay I'm going for it you know yeah, yeah. and also the time aspect like I kind of get the feeling that you you don't mind wrenching on it and like swapping the pads for the track or you know bleeding the brakes or whatever but if it was only going to be used on the track you didn't you don't have to invest the time into the pad swap or you know whatever else you have to do to prep for an event because you had to change it to drive it on the street as well 
you know, it's time you could be doing something else. Um, and obviously with, you know, what you do and things like that, you, and being a family man, like, you know what time is worth. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Have you guys yeah. seen anything about the Dark Horse that's coming out, the Mustang Dark Horse S that's a track? They're going to sell a, a non-street legal version of the Mustang that's, like, built for racing, and they're going to have a dedicated race series and stuff like that? I've heard – I haven't seen much detail on it or heard much detail on it, but I have, like, kind of heard that mention, um, that kind of rumor around that. Um yeah, it, it's going to be interesting because like, it's kind of going to be a GT4 class, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I heard about the Dark Horse. I haven't really looked into it. Um, the biggest things I had heard about were like the gimmicky stuff. Like you could change the gauges to look like the vanilla yeah, you yeah. Know, 90s 5.0. <laughs> and uh, you can rev it with your transmitter, like your key fob. <laughs> Uh, I heard about the gimmicky stuff. I didn't hear about the serious stuff. Well, they're making one called yeah. the S, the Dark Horse S, I think it is, and um, and it's going to be non-street legal. It'll be have a full cage, no interior, totally gutted, you know, ready for the track. And and supposedly they're going to have they're going to sell like one version that's for like people that do weekend driver education events and and track days. Then they're going to sell one version that is like made specifically for like GT4 series racing, and they're going to try to have you know you can go enter it into IMSA races or whatever. Um, and so I have not seen anything about the pricing. I'm very curious though, like what, what something like that runs. Cause it's like, you know, if you could get a, something like that straight from the factory brand new with a warranty, that's like, you know, already kitted out and ready to go. Like that would be pretty, pretty sweet. Um, cause one of the things about buying a used race car is, you know, who knows? I mean, you could, you could buy it and the right. engine's needs a $25,000 rebuild the next day, you know, who knows, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That... That's the tough part about the used race car life, right? <laughs> so it's it's almost like you want to find a chassis, but then even still, like, okay, go over it, inspect all the welds of the mm-hmm. cage, and and just everything like that. So, um, I w- what would be your preference? So if you could do if you could do Porsche and Porsche Cup, obviously they made the GT3 Cup, or you could do the the GT4. If you were going to go dedicated Porsche race car, would you have kind of an affinity towards one one or the other? If I could get the club, sport, the GT4 Club Sport, I I would do that. Yep. I mean that that yeah. j- just because I'm very familiar with with the dynamic, the how it handles on the track, right? Already, so I think it'd yep. be an easy transition for me. I am I am half nervous because I I'm half nervous that if I got a, a GT3 Cup car, 911 Cup car, that on my first time out. I would I would total it and hit the wall. <laughs> I would go through some turn, and I'd be like, "Well, in my came and I can do this." And then suddenly the car's like doing a helicopter spin across the grass, and then it's like hitting the wall. Right. Because I've taken guys that are nine eleven guys. I've taken I've let them ride a shotgun with me, and I've taken them on a track, and I'm like showing them how I drive the my Cayman on the track. And my my right. buddy who has a GT three, he's like dude, you would kill yourself in my car. He's like, you cannot do this in my car. My car will not <laughs> behave this way. You cannot go into a turn this way. You cannot drive, you know, whatever. And so right. it makes me nervous, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 911s have a driving style all their own. And I think the first 10 or 15, maybe more track events, you would probably have to mentally always be, you know, front of mind retraining yourself you know, those, those habits and, and, and things, because the one time you're not paying attention and you go into, you know, commute mode, you're, you're going to be spending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, 
the GT3 Corvette also sounds interesting. Like the, the factory built race car, um, you know, they're going to offer that once they finally keep up with production for, <laughs> for the other cars. Right. Yeah. But um, that's uh, I'm interested to see what that all kind of turns into. And if there's as much of a, a cult following for like a Porsche GT3 cup as there would be for the, the Corvette. So that'll, that'll be interesting, but that flat plane crank would just wail in a way would be awesome. Yeah, so. there would. I'm, I'm curious to hear what kind of longevity they have. Cause I've heard that the, the Shelby motors with the voodoo engine, I hear they don't last very long because of the big displacement and the vibrations from the flat hmm. plane. I've heard kind of mixed, mixed um, results about how what the what the durability is for those. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting because those don't have like the true flat plane crank normal firing order. They they did the firing order different to still give it some of that, you know, American V eight kind of lope and lump to the okay. to the car. It's still a flat plane crank. But um, they they don't have the typical flat plane crank firing order. I'm I'm optimistic just with you know they had the oh gosh what what did they call it the past few years GTD Pro Corvette mm-hmm. um, you know had, they had that going at Le Mans and I think probably three years of racing with basically the same engine with obviously the the constraints of the racing series for. Um, balance of power and everything like that. But um, I'm interested. I, I think I'm optimistic for the, the streetcar engine because they did so m- three years ahead of time with the development of the, of the race car for the Corvette. So hopefully there's the longevity behind it. So, okay. Yeah. yeah I guess that, you know, Ford didn't put the a derivative of the Shelby into endurance racing. So that right. is a good point. They don't, it's, that's one place that they're different. Yeah, yeah. So, how about the uh, E-Ray that came out this uh, past week or two weeks ago, whatever? I think the best quote I heard about it is, "This is what everyone wished the Generation Two NSX would have been." <laughs> you know, <laughs> so just this, uh, it, you know, NSX. I think again, horsepower numbers, but only 500 horsepower mm-hmm. combined between the three electric motors and, and the twin turbo V6. But um, yeah, that was, that was kind of the, the quote I heard that, Hey, if, if only Acura would have done this four years ago, maybe their sales numbers wouldn't have been so terrible. So yeah, a lot's changed in four years though, with electric cars, like true, you know, the, the capacities that the motor technology has changed, like, the, the way they do the windings and things like that. So I'm sure, you know, they're obviously four years ahead of the development cycle. It's funny, though, because I know a guy with a uh, with an NSX, and whenever he goes places, they always want to park him with the Corvettes. Like <laughs> like, like the new, the second yeah. generation, you know? They're like, oh, yeah, the, Cor- the right. C8 Corvettes porkings over here or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I do think that's going to be, I think it's going to be a valuable car in the future, the type S. Um, Mm -hmm. I think if, you know, they're only making 300 for the U S or something like that. Um, so I, I really think from a investment standpoint, it's, and it's not like it's a bad car. It's just, you know, not as good as some of the other things out there. Right. But if you could get your hands on a, 
um, a nice color, nice paint, um, NSX type S. I think that'll probably be worth some money in 20 years or so. Yeah. So I think that was one of those cars that really the hype let it down. Like we had been waiting for it for so long. The first generation was, you know, it was a game changer for exotic cars and the, the hype train was, you know, it'll be here in 2007. It'll be here in 2010, you know, and it finally shows up and it, it's kind of a dud. Like it's right. It just, the, the hype just overshadowed it by leaps and bounds. And so it just didn't get the respect that it probably deserves as an outright sports car on its own. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ridden in your buddy's NSX? No, I've never, no, I've never ridden one. No. Okay. Yeah. I've never, I've never ridden in a second generation, but, uh, that, I mean, it's a good looking car. Mm-hmm. Like it, it looks good. I'm interested to see what the next versions of Corvette will be with the ZR1 and then possibly even like Zora mm-hmm. above that mm-hmm. and what they're going to, what they're going to do. So, yeah, it's funny because the Corvette was kind of dismissed by some of the, you know, the old guard because it's not, it's not a Corvette anymore. But the ironic thing is they, they've been talking about a mid-engine Corvette since its inception. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it was, it was time. They were kind of getting close to where the Viper is as far as teetering the line with the ZR1 and, you know, how much power is usable and, and still drivable and things like that where just go to mid-engine it solves a lot of problems and i think it was a good way to go it was a smart move i mean i'm I'm not a fan of the styling the rear end i just think the proportions aren't right and that side intake to me the way it's asymmetrical drives me crazy but um the front end though looks looks good and i do think it it needed to evolve but um but i still think that like the c7 Z06 is like one of the most badass looking Corvettes ever made, right? With all the vents. If you get a yellow one of those with all the vents and stuff and the intakes and everything and the long hood. Yeah. I mean, it's just, that's a mean car, you know? Yep. Yeah. The, uh, the need for the marketing department, even on the Z06 to have that trunk area, you know, (laughs) I, I agree with you. The, I mean, the Z06 looks way better than just the base model, yeah. just with how how much wider it is and everything like that. But even just, it still has to have that trunk to fit two pairs of golf clubs, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, just the, the requirement to have that just throws that proportion off because the race car doesn't look like that because it doesn't, it doesn't come back as far, you know? Yeah. Golf bags are apparently more important than, what you think because the first thing i remember seeing my father-in-law had a g37 coupe it was a 08 i believe yeah and when you open the trunk lid on that granted it's you know a two plus two but you open the yep. trunk lid and it shows you how to lay your two golf bags in there so that they both fit and i just i didn't realize that was a thing until i saw that in that car and then when i heard that the c8 was designed to carry the golf bags i thought of course it was you know like it's got to be their no. demographic. I'm sure they've done not enough studies of like what percentage <laughs> sure. of Corvette drivers, you know, are golfers and drive that to the golf club. And they want to be able to show up in their Corvette at the golf cl- club. They're probably the same ones and take somebody and with take them somebody with them and have two sets and, of clubs. Yeah, yeah exactly. And yeah. they're probably the same ones that order the chrome rims. They pr- there's probably a correlation between golf clubs and the guys that <laughs> wear the chrome rims on their Corvettes. Because I'm like, who puts chrome rims on a modern car like that? But it seems to be a very popular option among a certain demographic. Right. They, 
all the marketing studies and data that they've collected. Yeah, it must be a a need. I just wish they could have made it look better. Yeah, and still fit that need, right? Yep. Yeah, the, it is kind of awkward, especially from the side. But the first time I saw one on the road, it's got presence. Like it catches your attention, especially like if you catch it from the front, if it's on coming. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. It looks like a McLaren. I mean, I think it looks a lot like a McLaren coming at you on the road, and you have to do a double take. Um, so yeah, I think I think the front end uh, coming at you looks pretty sweet. And the interior, yeah. they did a good job with the seats, the interior design, the kind of the cockpit, the way it wraps around the driver and stuff. I think that that's yeah, driver focused. Yeah. But like when you open that that rear hatch uh, where the engine is, and you look down in there, first of all, you notice like the engine looks like tiny because it, and it's like way down in there. Like I don't, I don't even know how you would work on it. Like you can't even reach it. You can't reach it from like right. standing next to the car. And then you see that huge space for the golf clubs behind this behind the engine, and you just think, man, there's so much wasted space here. This thing could have been, you know. 40% shorter and smaller and tighter than, than what it is. You know? Right. Or maybe they're saving the space for something else. That's yet to <laughs> huge <come>. battery <laughs> packs. And uh, right. Exactly. Right. Right. Hopefully twin turbos on that flat plane, crank. Yeah. flat plane crank motor. So for the ZR one, can you imagine, I mean, the sounds that would make and just, they've got room for, for some turbos. Like to put them on top, they've definitely got room for it. Maybe do a hot V st- set up and yeah, yeah, that'd be interesting. So, um, yeah, there's there's plenty of room in there. It is you're right, Emerson. It's wedged way down there just to try and I think low center mm-hmm. of gravity, obviously, and everything. But yeah, you just lay on the trunk <laughs> to try and work on it, and it's just be so awkward. I imagine it's a dry sump, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm excited for uh, Formula One to finally get here, hopefully soon. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Car launches are coming up. They're in a yes. few weeks. Yes. My one coworker is like, oh, your last day is the same day that Red Bull launches the car. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but yeah. Well, I actually planned it that way because I had to sit <laughs> home and right <laughs> contemplate the new design. Exactly. I saw the leak for the Ferrari car. It's going to be red. Yes, yes, you saw that on my Instagram. Yeah, it's funny. I, I was it was a hot take I got from somebody, but uh, yeah, popular opinion. I don't know. I'm not sure how to take the the car launches because they're especially in the 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 culture that we're in. I guess you could say like where everything is information travels quickly as opposed to 20, 30 years ago, like the car launch is really just a livery anymore because they're not going to show the actual, their competitors, the actual car until, you know, testing because they don't have to, as opposed to 30 years ago, it wasn't really a big deal. All right. Well, just so you know, that racetrack in Michigan, in, uh, yeah, Michigan is still up for sale. Emerson, if you want (laughs) to, How far do you live from Grand Rapids? Uh, or your, your, I have your some family in Grand Rapids. I mean, you know, but no, from here it's like five and a half hours or something like that. But yeah, yeah. that would be nice. You know, that would be nice. You never know. It looks like a nice little place. Yeah, I, I want to get up to um, uh, Road uh, Road America sometime and drive. I've been hmm. I've yeah. been to a race there. I've I've seen a race there, but I've never driven on that track. But I'd really like to get up there for a track day. Yeah, and they just repaved it hmm. um, this fall, so it's fresh tarmac. Uh, they repaved the entire four mile course. They didn't just do spots of it, so yeah, the whole thing ground up, repaved. 
So, have you driven on it yeah. on the track? Um, I have done a spirited lap. Not necessarily, it's like more like a lead follow mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. thing. Um, just drive around it. Um, but it's about hour and a half from where we are. So just go up there for IMSA weekend yeah. or, you know, the June sprints with the cl- all the classic cars that are up there. But it is amazing what is parked on the lawn there. Like what we took our, my two kids and, and my wife went up uh, over 2020 for IMSA weekend because we just wanted to get out of the house and get outdoors and get away. And it's like, oh, there's a 250 GTO driving by like, honey, how, how much do you think that car is? She's like, well, what kind is it? I'm like, well, it's an older Ferrari. She's like, um, you know, maybe a hundred thousand. Like, <laughs> You're like a hundred million. <laughs> yeah. hundred million. So, yeah. Yes. But yeah, it's, it's amazing what's parked on the long lawn up there. It's a, a car show just to, just to go see even whatever race is up there. So yeah, you'll have to come yeah. up. Very cool. Well, I guess I'll let you guys go. Um, it's starting to get a little late and, um, you know, we've could go on forever. So I appreciate both <laughs> you guys being on. Uh, I still have some things that I could give both of you guys a hard time about, but I'm glad to hear about your, your new adventure, Sean. So good luck to you there. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. And, thank uh, you. We have to keep us posted how that goes. We'll do. We'll do. We'll have to get back on after drive to survive comes out and all everybody reveals their cars and we'll give you an update on how things are progressing through the first fun few months of a startup company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds good to me. All right, Emerson, just try to keep it calm with your, with your Viper. The next time you get it out, just make sure you don't intimidate. I know I'm not terrorizing. Or... I'm not terrorizing people. That was... <laughs> That's one of the best comments on you, that. On somebody in the comments was like, "I don't know if he if he really drives around intimidating people with his Viper. That sounds like he might have pro- mental problems or something." I was like, "Whatever." <laughs> yeah, my my neighbors shutter all their windows and hide their kids in the basement <laughs> when I get the Viper out. Up, oh, the Viper's starting up. Close, yeah, close up. Hide, shop. everybody, hide. Here comes the Viper. <laughs> and, and go Bengals! That's right? right. Yeah, that's right. Go Bengals! Let's beat the Chiefs and go back to back Super Bowls. Uh, they're in Cincinnati for that game. No, right? they're playing they're in Kansas City. They should have been in Cincinnati. I mean, you know, if things could have worked out where they would have actually beat the Bills and everything and won out and stuff, then yeah, I mean, they they could have had a shot at hope at hosting. But yeah. I think I think the that stadium holds the record for or second record for the loudest stadium. The Chiefs in the, does in the right. League. Yeah, I've yeah. heard that. Yeah, I think it was like I saw it recently. It was like 142 decibels or something was the record, which is like jet aircraft type yeah. volumes that just blew me away when i heard it. i didn't realize it was that loud well we'll see cool i'll talk to you guys later yeah hey thanks so All much right. isaac thanks Good guys talk Thank to you. you see you guys